0: Shalom and welcome to this week's Think Jewish. This week's title, this week's title that went out in the invite was When is it time to stop praying? Now this has been a question that has been haunting me from the very first time I gave a lecture way back in Weston about prayer and someone asked me that question. The question is extremely fundamental question in Jewish faith. I discussed it with my rabbis then, back and forth. And at some point, the question was just, do you really want to go there? Was what my rabbis told me. Do you really want to discuss the fact that sometimes God says no and tell the people to just give it up? I want to review this question now from the concept of the contradiction that there is in Jewish faith. Number one, there is the emuna slash acceptance versus the hishtadlut slash prayer. Prayer is a Jewish form of hishtadlut. Hishtadlut means to try. They tell, they tell the story. I heard this from my uncle. They tell a story that happened in the war when the bombs started falling. The guy who was outside watching came running back into the bunker and said, Jews, we can no more rely on miracles. We need to stop praying. The point of that is that for Jewish people, prayer is hishtadlut. Just like you go out and work, you sit down and you really pray. So I'm comparing hishtadlut, effort, with prayer and acceptance with emuna. Now if I've been praying for 18, 20, 25 years I've been praying for something and I'm not getting it is it time for me to hear God telling me no. Now of course my emunah would tell me that if it was good for me God would have said yes. I just don't know what's good for me. That would be like and I gave this example before a child crying for a knife, not understanding why the parent is so mean, always saying no, but obviously when the child will grow up, the child will understand that thank God my parents said no. So I can do that with God. I can go ahead and pray for 25 years and then finally understand what don't I get. God told me no. Now, if God told me no, it's not because he's a controlling God. It's not because he lacks in benevolence and compassion. But the reason God told me no, I will believe, is for my benefit. By the way, according to commentaries, that was the discussion between Eve and the serpent. Eve was telling the serpent... If God said, no, don't eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge, it's because it's not good for me, and God is protecting me. The serpent tried to present that God was actually trying to control, and therefore he told Eve that God knows that if you eat from the tree of knowledge, you'll be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to be greater than you so that argument of when God tells me no what it means is already precedented in the opening of Genesis but that means that I am accepting that sometime God tells me no now obviously the story in Genesis wasn't about a prayer they weren't praying for fruits and God said no God just told them straight out you can have from all the fruits in the garden just don't touch that one but I'm just using that perception of if I have to embrace that according to Jewish faith sometimes God answers a prayer with the word no then I can do that. I can do that and understand it's because God cares for me so much. The question on the table is not how to accept the answer no. The question on the table is does God ever say no to a prayer? Now, obviously, we have so many stories that in our own life we know someone who was sick, the entire community started praying, the person passed away anyway. The question is, what happens to those prayers? Did God say no? We have in our life enough situations where we can whisper to ourselves, listen, he's going to give a lecture about faith and all that stuff. But you and I know God says no. We've seen it happen. I'm going to ask you to suspend that thought for a moment. Why things don't happen the way we want it to happen is a different class. The question here is, is it okay for me as a Jew who has faith in God, has acceptance of whatever God will decide, and on the same term, I also have this strong belief that prayer breaks through. This struggle was actually brought up in the Q&A of last week's class. At the time, I said, no, that's not what that topic is about. But in the week, I was thinking about it, and it was time to give a class. And I will not lie, I will not lie to you, God forbid. I've shied away from giving this class from the day I started public speaking. Because it seems to be no matter what you answer, you're in trouble whatever reason this week it dawned upon me and that's what i'm sharing with you last week's torah portion what was it called etchanan. what does v'etchanan mean it means and he requested our sages tell up tell us add up the numerical value of the word v'etchanan and what do you end up with number 515. There's a Kabbalistic reason we can talk about in the Q&A part, not important for right now. But he prayed 515 prayers for God to forgive him and allow him to go into Israel. Moses prayed 515 prayers. And what was the answer? No. Right? That's what we all know. God said no. Isn't that a beautiful, in the written law, five books of Moses... Isn't that a beautiful precedence? Why are we we even discussing this topic? God does say no. He told Moses no. Because the sages say that's not exactly the way the conversation went down. We're taught according to Jewish mysticism. And again, we'll talk about that later if you want in the Q&A. But for right now, let's focus on this one difficult theme. Is it okay to accept that God says no and now we need to see what we need to do? What actually happens is, according to the sages, God told Moses, if you pray one more prayer, 516th prayer, I'm going to say yes. However, I'm telling you that the answer is no. So don't pray that 516th prayer. Very interesting twist to the story. Now we're seeing the way Jews handle things. (laughs) Everything is right. If you're going to pray, I'm going to say yes. But I'm telling you, don't pray because the correct answer is no. So on one hand, we see that nothing stands in the way of prayer. God doesn't say no to prayer. However, God is telling Moses don't pray just don't do that next prayer now again there's so many questions if God was going to say no anyway why do you let him pray 515 prayers and then tell him listen it's your last chance because if you pray one more time I'm going to say yes but the real answer is no so don't do it a question to be dealt with but here I'm very interested in this precedence that's in the five books of Moses a documented story We don't need to know more, ponder the abstract. There's a story right here. And yet God didn't say no, but God didn't say yes. And how am I supposed to figure out when God's telling me what he told Moses? Moses had a conversation with him, as the verse says, and Moses spoke to God face to face. You and I don't do that. So how am I supposed to know when God's telling me that. Another issue. There's a story in the Talmud where someone prayed, one of the sages prayed to be rich. He was horribly poor. And here's an interesting answer from from God. If you're not going to stop praying, then I'm going to make you rich but for me to make you rich I must undo the entire creation back to the six days of Genesis and start over because according to the way I mapped it out now you're not supposed to be rich story in the Talmud very interesting has that same fragrance of this story with Moses here's another story But this story doesn't happen with humans praying it happens with angels on yom kippur we read the story of the 10 martyrs it's in our machzor in the story of yom kippur the 10 people that were put to death rabbi kiva was one of them famous story the angels began to question god this is torah this is the reward is that what you promised in your torah That if you'll walk into my ways, I will have your skin filleted while you're alive. Ice wrapped around your heart so you'll be longer alive as you're being burned. What did God answer? Shtoik. Silence. Kach So it arose in my will. And then he goes on to threaten. If you say one more word, I'm going to revert the world back to water. And what happens, what does it mean, revert the world back to water? It's the same story to the Talmud. What does it say in Genesis before creation? And the Spirit hovered upon the water. So again, he was saying the same thing. Very interesting stories. But how are we as humans supposed to deal with this story? How are we supposed to deal with this entire concept of pray, pray, pray? Because nothing, nothing gets in the way of prayer. How much more so when prayer is done with true teshuvah, returning of the heart. And yet on the other hand, acceptance. Accept the judgment. It's actually interesting because the story of the ten martyrs, actually, if you read the whole story, the emperor called them in and said, what is the law if you kidnap someone and sell them into slavery? And the answer is, it's punishable by death. And he said, well, who paid for the job of the ten brothers, the sin, that they kidnapped Joseph and sold him into slavery? Benjamin wasn't there. And he said, it was never done. So I'm going to take the ten finest Jews who are the descendants, and you're going to pay the price. And what did the sages say? One second, we need to find out if heaven's okay with this. And it says that Rabbi Shmuel purified himself and went up. His soul had an elevation, and he asked, "Is this the decree of God?" And what does it say in the prayers? Yes, this is the decree of God. Accept it, accept it. So interesting, accept it. Let's talk about. I just want to bring up some stories so we get both sides of the coin very clear. What did God tell Moses when he was about to destroy all the Jewish people after the golden calf? Leave me, I'm going to destroy them. Rashi immediately says, Moses says, leave me. That means I have a choice not to leave. Immediately he started praying. And God didn't kill the Jews. We're having these interesting concepts here. What happens at the splitting of the sea? Moses is praying, and what does God tell him? Now is not the time to pray. Move ahead. This is my war, not yours. There's so much going on here with this, and you can bounce back and forth. Prayer can change God's mind. The entire concept of prayer is Yehira-son. What does son mean? May it be his will. What does it mean may it be his will? That means until now he willed A, we're praying that he should change his will. son. He who willed this should now will that. There's an interesting book that the Rebbe Blessed Memory quotes that says that prayer is a lack of emunah. Very interesting. Why? Because why am I praying? Because I don't like what God's doing now. So I want to change his mind. Isn't that a lack of emunah? There's actually a story of a very great rabbi, one of the rebbes, and not from Chabad. It's a whole story where his child was very sick and they called him in because the doctor said it's over. He looked at his child, he looked up to God, and these were the words he said. I will not be telling you what to do. By the way, when the Rebbe quotes this, he says, but this is not for mainstream. I guess people are at a certain level, but this is definitely not mainstream. It's not our job to say, well, it must be tikkun, it must be this, I'm not praying. There's a mitzvah, a biblical mitzvah, to pray when you're in the time of need. But when we pray in the time of need, why are we supposed to pray? God's not telling us to pray like talking to a wall. God's telling us to pray because it's going to work. It would be ludicrous to believe that God's telling me when you're in need you should pray. I'm going to tell you no, but you have a commandment to pray. It doesn't make sense. So the very commandment of prayer tells me that prayer works. And so much so that it says even when the sword is on your throat, don't give up. What does it mean don't give up? Pray. I hope I'm being clear with the two sides of the coin. I don't want to weaken any side of it. I want to be very clear here that before we approach this lecture, any answer you're going to give to this question is heresy. That's what I'm presenting to you. To say that God says no to prayers and we we accept that is heresy. To say that we don't have the commandment to accept God's verdict is heresy. Thus the question for so many years to me sounded like a dead-end question. Don't go there. You know they have these all these cute questions. Can God create another God? Can God create a rock that he can't pick up? Can God kill himself? And, and the, the, the logic behind these questions, if you don't understand the question from a Kabbalistic point of view is, that I set you up, checkmate. If you tell me God can't create a rock that he can't create, that He can't lift, then you tell me God can't do everything. If you're telling me that he could create a, lock, a rock that he can't lift, then he can't lift it, so he can't do everything. Those are the games that they play. So I'm just saying it seems to be that this is one of those questions. If I say that God commands me to pray, but it's not going to get nowhere, that's heresy. If you're telling me that I can always pray and I don't have to ever accept God's verdict, that's a lack of a and of acceptance. <sighs> I want to introduce to you, you've heard me speak about this before, and I printed it up so I can read it to you. I've spoken to you before about the 12 step program, recovery program. It's the foundation of all the recovery programs, all the anonymous programs that started with, uh, you guys know the history, Bill W., Dr. Bob, Dr. Young, and. Uh, They created it for AA, Alcoholic Anonymous. And then very quickly, it started going to all other forms of addiction. Let's go over quickly step one, two, because I want to get to step three. Step number one is to surrender. It just simply means to know there is nothing I can do to overcome my addiction. It's just that simple. The minute you think that you can control your addiction, then there's no recovery. And that's what they kept on saying. We have tried in every form and fashion to drink in a responsible way like other people do. We couldn't. That's the definition of addiction, to admit that we're absolutely powerless and our life has become unmanageable and we've tried everything from medicine to religion to everything, nothing worked. Without coming to that conclusion, the 12-step program won't work for you. The 12-step program is founded upon that absolute surrender. My addiction is bigger than me. So I cannot end up in sobriety long term. Let's go to step number two. What's step number two in the 12-step program? To, to come to know, come to believe that there is a higher power who can stop my addiction. So my addiction is bigger than me, but there's a higher, a higher power that's bigger than it. right? We were kids, right? My tati is stronger than your tati. That's basically what it is. I got a problem that's bigger than me, but I have a father who can handle this problem. What's step number three? Step number three is to hand your life over to this higher power. Now, step number three is a very interesting step. Step number one and two is not action. There's no action. Step number three is actually the first step that's an action. And that becomes problematic. Because what kind of action do you do when you give yourself over to God? So you're meeting your sponsor for step three, and we're going to now do the step three of the 12-step program. And then we're going to move on to step four. And when you meet with your sponsor to do step three, what do you do? You've got to do something. There's a way to go through step one. There's a way to go through step two. What do you do with step three? Most sponsors will actually have you do in a sacred place for you the step three prayer because the step three prayer is the point in where you give your life and your will over to god so i want to read for you the step three prayer god i offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt relieve me of the bondage of self that i may better do thy will Take away my difficulties that victory over them. Here's where I really want you to pay attention. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may be a witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, thy way of life. May I do thy will always. What was that closing piece? Why am I asking in this prayer to be released of my bondage? Obviously, the reason anyone who is in active addiction is going for recovery is for only one simple reason. Because when your life becomes unmanageable, you're living in hell. You don't need to wait till the next world. Welcome to hell in this world. That's the definition of an unmanageable life. You're destroying everything your own health, your own life, your financing, your relationship, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your parents, with your siblings, every friend, you're living in hell. And the biggest part of that living in hell is that you keep on saying I just I'm I'm not doing this no more. Knowing while you're saying that and crying and bawling your eyes out that you're going to do it again because that's the definition of addiction. So the reason why we pray that this bondage should be lifted from us is very simple because this is hell but that's not what it says here it says here something very amazing let's go back to Moses God tells Moses if you pray one more prayer number 516 I will let you into Israel However, I want you to know that it's not the right thing. Why? Why was it not the right thing for Moses to be allowed to enter into Israel? The verse hints it. In Chassidus, it's clearly explained. I want to back up a step and I want to give you the answer to all of this with a simple story of the Alter Rebbe. Someone came into Al Rebbe with a lot of tzodis, what we say in Yiddish, tzodis, troubles. Family, health, marriage, he had to marry off his kids, he didn't have any money, yada, 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 yada. And he's crying to the al Rebbe, asking the Alter Rebbe, please pray for me. I want you to please pray for me. You're a tzaddik, Hashem listens to a tzaddik, give me a blessing and pray for me. And here's what the altar Rebbe answered and Alter Rebbe when he would go into a meditative state he would talk in a sing-song fashion I actually heard the Rebbe a blessed memory once in a recording say the exact I guess it was handed down from Rebbe to Rebbe but this is what Alter Rebbe said you're telling me what you need you're not telling me what you need it for let's go over that again the man's coming, he's not asking for Alexis. He's not asking for a two, two-car garage house. He's asking for the beer necessities. It's a mitzvah to marry off your children. Without a dowry in those days, there was no chance of marrying off your children. So what's he asking for? You'd think that he asked Altadebe for a yacht. And Altadebe says, "A yacht. You're asking me for what you. What's about what you're needed for? And the Altarebbe was precise. He didn't say you're asking me for what you want. What's about what you're needed for? No. He was clear in his words. You're asking me for what you need. What's about what you're needed for? How come I'm not hearing you ask that question? It's amazing. How many times people will meet with me and ask me why am I here? Why did God send me into this world? What is my mission? But what's interesting enough is that we ask that question right after a yoga class when we're very calm and relaxed. But when we're sitting and praying for that which we think we need, we don't ask that question. Now that's a kind of a problem because when you're praying, what should you be praying for? You should be praying for the most important prayer of all. God, allow me to fulfill my destiny and my mission. What greater prayer is there than that? What happens if after 120 years, when you meet your maker, you left all your toys behind, and one thing you found out, it was a failed mission? Because you didn't accomplish what you were supposed to accomplish. So it's very interesting how we ponder upon what our purpose is. But we pray for our toys. What God's telling Moses here is. I hear what you're praying for. I hear what you're praying for. And I know why you're praying for it. Maimonides talks about it. Maimonides questions, why do you think Moses and all the sages wanted Mashiach to come and be in Israel? Why? For falafel? He talks about that. The reason why they wanted Mashiach to come is because they would be free of anything else than to be one with God and study. Why did Moses want to go into Israel? Because out of 613 commandments, you can't do close to two-thirds of them when you're not in Israel. And all the commandments concerning the book of Leviticus is all in the times of the Holy Temple when we're in Israel. All the full-blown laws of Jewish agriculture is when majority of the Jewish people are living in Israel. You can't do that in the desert. You can give charity with your manna, but you can't fulfill the laws of tithing, truma, sabbatical year, it's all in Israel. So why was Moses asking to go to Israel? For his own bank account? For his own glory and power? He was praying for spirituality, for union with God. And yet, what's the Alter Rebbe saying about this? You're telling me what you need? Yeah, for a man like Moses, spirituality is a need. Forty days and nights he went without eating but he did not go without spirituality. So Moses, even his spirituality, even his praying to God, allow me to serve you completely, was his need. What's God answering him? Let's talk about what you're needed for. What was Moses needed for? So the verse in last week's Torah portion tells us that Moses was to be buried right across from Baal Peor. Which was the idol worship of those days. It was the polar opposite of Moses' holiness. And his combat was against that. Moses as a true leader could not leave his generation buried in the desert and go with their children into Israel. Because when Moses accepted leadership... It's not like under the canopy where you say under the chuppah where you say unto death do us part but even in death we do not part. Moses had to remain with his people even in burial. Which means that God is telling Moses after all he said about him remember that story when Miriam spoke Lashon Hara his sister spoke Lashon Hara gossip about him and God for the first time tells us who Moses really is and yet nevertheless as great as Moses is as an individual ultimately speaking the prayer needs to be not about what you need even your spiritual holy needs even your religious needs even your biblical needs tell me what you're needed for I'm going to share with you a story This story is a story that I heard from my friend, a lot of you know him, Rabbi Ruvi Nu, who serves up Chabad in East Boca. This story happened with him. I'm gonna use this story just to tell a different dimension of we have no idea what we're needed for. And we'll never know until we stop praying for what we need. And let's talk about this for a moment. It was that Yom Kippur, a couple of years ago, when we were having a hurricane on Yom Kippur. You remember that year? All the bridges were locked up. It was very difficult. And actually, the radio was saying that the Jewish people are in their holiest day of the year. Many of them will not be listening to the radio. So please, if they ask you, please tell them, give them updates because they won't be hearing it by themselves. So Rabbi Nu had with him a friend who was helping him. And that friend with his wife, and his wife was pregnant, and she didn't go to shul. So she was alone at home. She didn't know what was happening. So she went outside to find someone just for an update. She sees this older person, and this older person starts screaming at her. Imagine a pregnant woman. I know who you are. I know where you're staying. I know that rabbi, and I'm never going to step into synagogue, and don't even waste your time with me, and going off the handle. And she says... uh, I'm not asking you to do anything. I just want to know what's going on with the hurricane. So he tells her what's going on with the hurricane and he makes her promise that he's not, she's not going to tell Rabbi Nu that his neighbor is Jewish. What she did with her promise, I don't know, but Rabbi Nu knew that he was Jewish. Now Rabbi Nu is starting to chabad thinking. Okay, if I go on the door, he's going to start screaming at me. So how do I get even a chance? So he decided he's going to send his wife, who was also pregnant, with the kids, who's gonna scream at a pregnant woman with kids in front of the kids? So sure enough, she goes, and she knocks on the door with her kids, and he opens up, mm-hmm. and I guess Rabbi knew it was wrong, because he went off the handle. She promised me, I can't believe she told you I'm Jewish and da 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 da, and the story goes on and on and on, screaming, and she's just saying, I'm just inviting you, the last night of Sukkot, Shmini Atzeret, come join us to eat. No religious services, no nothing. I'm telling you I'm a good cook. That's what she told me, told me. All of a sudden, in the background, walks up to the door an absolute German woman. Just want to put things in perspective. We're talking about a Holocaust survivor who obviously married a German woman. She says, "What what do you want for my husband?" She said, "Really? I'm just I'm just <laughs> I'm inviting him to dinner." she looks at her at Rebbe and says uh what time she says this and this day at this and this time he'll be there and the conversation he showed up he's sitting in the sukkah and he was having a couple of l'chaim's a couple more than a couple and Rabbi Ruvi knew amongst, amongst his talents Music is actually, he's very gifted in music. And he was singing Hasidic melodies. This man came from a Hasidic home. And he's singing along. The alcohol is doing its job. And all of a sudden, they're in the middle of soup. They're in the middle of eating soup. He stands up. He points at Rabbi Nu and says, I hate you. Rabbi Nu tells me, you can hear in the sukkah, like there was 25 people, you can hear the spoons drop, hitting the (laughs) The bowls and the soup, click, 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 dead silent. Rabbi Nu didn't know what to do, what what do you do? (laughs) He just kept quiet. Guy sits down, it's uncomfortable now. He says it didn't take 20 minutes. The guy stands back up and says, but Rabbi Nu, I love you. I haven't heard a song like this in 60 years. Rabbi Nu told me that for the rest of the night, every 20 minutes, I hate you. I ran away from this for 60 years. Gets back up. I love you. This was going back and forth, back and forth. This story is an introduction to the other story. Unfortunately, when Rabbi Nu met him, he was already in the last stage of terminal cancer. But Rabbi Nu got very close with him. He's not alive. He's not with us no more. Rabbi Nu tells me that he used to just sit in his house and talk. And he shared with him for a different time, guys. He shared with him why he did what he did after the war but he tells mm-hmm. him this story and this is what I want to share with you he didn't go to synagogue he obviously totally fought religion from A to Z and he has a neighbor who was uh, an evangelist you know he wants he tells him you're not going to synagogue anyway come with me to church he tells Rabbi no listen I'm not going to synagogue but <laughs> I'm not going to church but the guy's not stopping so I told him if I go with you once to church we're done we're over with and he says, yeah, just come once. So the guy tells Nu just to get him off my back. I went with him to church. So he tells Nu what happened in church. He's sitting there and he says, I felt it's foreign to me. You know, I grew up in a Jewish, Hasidic home and this was foreign to me. So everyone's doing their stuff and I'm scanning the crowd. He says immediately, my two eyes locked in with another two eyes. And we both immediately knew about each other that were Jewish. He said, I got up, imagine, (laughs) middle of church, he gets up, he goes over to the guy and says, what are you doing here? He starts screaming at him, you're Jewish. So the guy starts telling him, I went to an orthodox synagogue, I went to a reform synagogue, I didn't feel the spirituality. He tells Rabbi Nu, I started screaming at him, spirituality? Did you ever learn the Talmud? Do you know anything about your background? The end of the story was that they both left church together. Rebbeinu tells me the story. I'm thinking to myself, wow. A Jew who has nothing nice to say about God. A Jew who Yom Kippur was screaming that he'll never step into synagogue. A Jew who promised never to have Jewish children. A Jew who married a German, a Holocaust survivor. And what was he needed for? Think for a moment now. What was he needed for? He was needed to go into church and just tap another Jew on the shoulder and say, really? You really think you gave your own roots of fear, chance before you decided to start going to church? Now, if you would have asked me and I would know this person, I would not dream that that was his mission in life. Are you kidding me? Doesn't put on tefillin, doesn't keep kosher, doesn't keep Shabbos, intermarried. I mean, I can go on and on and on where why this guy's gonna be in hell for 4,000 years. But wrong, he wasn't. This man fulfilled his mission. This man fulfilled his mission. I'm gonna tell you another story. This story is not such an easy story. I'm going to tell you why I'm telling you this story. Because how do we know? Did this man ever know that that's what he was meant to do? He probably died without knowing. He was too angry. He was too full of resentments. He wasn't busy in finding out why God sent him down here. He was busy fighting with God for taking so many back up there. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself... How do you, how do you try to understand what you needed for? How do you hear God tell you you're praying for this? But you're praying for the wrong thing. You're praying for what you need. But talk to me about what you're needed for. At the end of the day, coming back to heaven is about one thing came back, mission accomplished. And until we don't surrender that praying always with a Christmas list in our hand, we're going to sometimes hear God tell us, Stop! Stop! What are you doing? Is that what this is all about? I will tell you that I'm a father. I have children that study abroad. I have kids in camp and I cannot tell you how it feels. When the phone call you get is uh ta, hi how's everything yeah what well, I need some money All parents complain about that and yet we all do that to our ultimate parent And I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for what we need But what I'm saying is the prayer becomes so different When I'm asking you the one thing I really need is to be able to fully fulfill That which I am needed for. And until that doesn't become real to us. We're going to find ourselves in this great big checkmate on God. Does he say no we have to accept it? Or do we have to continue fighting it? Because when the prayer is about what I need, what I need, what I need, without the slightest reverence to tell me what I'm needed for, maybe what I'm doing is wrong. Maybe God has been kindly showing me for so long, why are you creeping into vineyards that don't belong to you? I've got a beautiful vineyard with your name on it. You're going to tell me that you want to stay in this vineyard? I'll protect you there. She with you an interesting story without the entire details. But there was a woman who wrote to the Rebbe about her anxieties. And the Rebbe gave her an answer and I just heard this story recently. This, past, this summer, about a month ago. I heard it from the person who heard it from the woman who asked. And the Rebbe said, the Rebbe defined anxieties as follows. A fish, when it's taken out of water, you ever watch what happens to it? So it's starts flip-flopping, right? That is, for humans, our reaction to anxieties. Because unless we're where we belong and accept who we are and this is where we belong, we're going to feel what the fish is feeling, only that we're different. We're more complicated. We're more powerful. So we don't just flip-flop like a fish and then end our life. But that concept of until we can pray for that which we are needed, God, put me where I belong. Have me do that which I'm supposed to do. There's going to be a deep-rooted anxiety. Whether we're still strong enough to fight it, whether we can go out dancing to overcome it. But the true definition of inner peace, free of any anxiety, is to be able to wholeheartedly look up to God and say, okay, I surrender. You tell me, what am I needed for? God, give me the freedom and strength to be able to do it. To be able to sit back and really rethink my whole plan for my whole life. And now let me ask you a question. If God would tell us n- would never tell us no when we pray for what we need, what do you think God's gonna answer us when we pray for what we're needed for? If he loves us enough to be patient, okay. You still want to play with your toys? Okay. And there are times, guys, if we're going to be serious, there are, gar- there are times where we feel God's time to tell us, come on, it's time to stop moving away from these toys. But then there comes that moment where if we're really looking for inner peace and we're really looking for fulfillment, we're really looking for the ultimate contentment. It's so contrary to what our logic tells us. Because we think that inner peace and contentment is when we have everything we need. Well in actuality, inner contentment is when we are finally doing what we're needed for. So what a a switch on prayer. All of a sudden praying is not about what I need, rather I'm praying for what God needs from me. Inner contentment is not when, oh, I've been wanting this all my life and look at it, parked right in front of my house, fully paid off. It's mine. That's what we call a midlife crisis, but that's what it's all about. And then all of a sudden you realize it's not there. Inner contentment is not when I get what I want. Inner contentment is when I fulfill what I'm needed for. And that's what God told Moses. You have a chance, you're a tzaddik. You pray 516, you'll get what you want. You'll get what you need spiritually. But if you don't pray to 516 and you let me do what needs to be done, you'll get what you need it for. The man prayed to God, make me rich. What did this sage need to be rich for? The man lived on a total different brainwave. He wasn't thinking what you and I were thinking. And yet, God told him, "You want fine, but that's not what you were created for in this system." So I want to be clear and practical. And it's difficult, because um, I'm not going to hide behind anything. You guys see that I myself am still struggling with this whole concept. Practically speaking, you pray, you pray, you pray, and you're frustrated. And you scream at God. We do that. We scream at God. Why? Why? What am I praying for already? What am I praying for? I should find my Shidduch? Is that a bad thing? Isn't that what you told me in Genesis? Be fruitful and multiply, preferably with your own spouse. What am I praying for already? And when I pray for wealth, what am I praying for? Do I want to go and play games like that? I'm asking you to allow me to be a good Jew. And why do you always have to tell me no? Now you tell me why I see other people who are not living any type of spiritual life. And look at them, God. And this goes on and on with the resentment. And then we break down. What, am I going to be angry at God? That's not very smart. That wouldn't be a very smart plan to do. So let's go back to the praying. right? And we're bouncing back and forth between praying and screaming at God. And it's just, and then we come, we come to to anyone we we, want to talk to, we trust. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Really, tell me what am I doing wrong? What am I asking for? I'm asking for things that he told me to do. Things that he defined as a Jewish life. And then the Alter Rebbe tells you, what you're doing wrong is, you're praying for your needs. Spiritual needs, Jewish needs. But you're praying for your needs. Now here is a very interesting thing. I'm going to tell it to you in a nasty story and then we're going to go and close it up with the spiritual side to that story. There was a great man by the name of Rabbi Brook. He was a big Rosh Hashiva in Israel in Chabad. When he got older, you know, people when they get older don't make it through the night without waking up in the middle. They've got to take care of bodily needs. So he would wake up bladder. And he would wake up, he'd wash his hands, he'd do what he has to do, and then he'd take out a mishnah and sit and learn. So one of his kids asked him, Ta, you learn all day anyway. If you got up in the middle of the night to empty your bladder, why don't you just do what you have to do, go back to sleep, you're anyway gonna wake up tomorrow and learn. Rabbiach looked at his son and said, you really think My soul came all the way down here to empty my bladder? That's what I'm schlepping him down for? He was in the middle of a great shiur, up in heaven. (laughs) But we need you here. Why do we need you here? Because I can't get out of bed. And if I don't get out of bed, it's not going to be a very pretty sight. I need to get to the bathroom. Come down. And that was his mindset. You really think that the reason my soul came down at 1.35 a.m. was for me to empty my bladder? That's a nasty way to tell the story and you usually say that after a couple of chayims. Let's talk about it the pretty way. Is that really what your soul came down here for? Is that really what your soul came down here for? For all the things you're praying for? Let me ask you another question. You think your soul came down here for its own tikkun? A soul doesn't need a tikkun. It was perfect before anything started. So why is my soul here? Siddhartha so the Alter Rebbe says clearly. The soul does not descend into this world for its own needs. It had no needs. The first time your soul came into this world, it was a perfect gem. What did it come here for? Now you understand why praying for your needs versus what you're needed for is so ridiculous from the soul's perspective? If I was worried about my needs, I would have never come down to this world. I was doing great. There's a great yeshiva up there. It's beautiful. Why did I come down here for? To deal with all my mind's confusions and hormonal craziness? So the soul had no needs. And the soul came down here. So for the soul to pray and participate in your prayer for what I need, he gets what God told Moses. I know it's your last day I know you're about to die but even now I need you to think about what you are needed for your people in the de- desert need you and the world the global balance between good and evil needs you buried right across from the idol and Moses didn't pray the 516th prayer so again practically speaking You're praying and you're praying and you're praying. Can you stop for a moment and just be honest? I'm not even asking you or myself yet to change our format of prayer. That's huge. But can we at least be honest with ourselves? Just be honest. God, I heard this lecture. I heard this rabbi struggling with this concept. But let me be honest with you. This prayer is for what I need. That's okay. Just be cool with it. Know what you're doing if you just become conscious of what you're doing there'll come a time where you're going to say you know God this time I'm praying for what I'm needed for you tell me what should I be be praying for right now by the way I want you to know it works came back from Venezuela hefty overweight not that I'm any uh, model right now but at the time (laughs) I was really overweight and dieting and me don't get along because dieting spells out self-control and that's something I'm allergic to. So I did something else. Every night before I went to bed, actually when I was in bed, I would just go over everything I ate with a commitment that I'm not going to get mad at myself. I'm not going to beat myself up. I just want to be conscious. And that was cool because I still ate my chocolate covered jelly rings and I still did all that good stuff and at night I would just say, hey, you promised, you're not going to get upset, right? This is what you did today. Slowly but surely, the mere consciousness of knowing that I'm going to face everything I did helped me. Sometimes with frustration, sometimes not. Let's go back to what I'm talking to you about. Don't beat yourself up. We're egocentric creatures, period, end of story. So we pray for our needs. But every once in a while, hear Hashem tell you. Just be honest with yourself. Hashem, this is not about you and the greater plan. I'm not going to lie to you. You know how many people tell me, Rabbi, if I become rich, I'm going to give you. (laughs) That's why we're still in a rented building. But that's the bottom line. Everyone says that. God, if, oh, forget that forget the games don't play games with God and definitely don't play games with yourself I'm egocentric I'm sick and tired of worrying at the end of every month about my bills Hashem can you please help me end the story Finished. God I have a child with special needs and no I'm not praying to you because what he would only do for you I'm just telling you very simple it really hurts to be a parent of such a child he's a beautiful child can you please help him Not no Hannah praying for Samuel the prophet. This is me praying for my kid. And you know the biggest proof that it's all selfish is? Because I pray for my kid with special needs a lot better than I pray for someone else's kid. So obviously it's not about God. It's about me. But you know what? That's the way you created me. And I'm okay with that. I just want to be honest with myself. Stop convincing the world that you are the most altruistic person and you're praying only for the glory of God. Not. And when you can come to terms with that you can hear maybe once in a while God telling you oh come on today can you do a little better than that today can you not pray for only your needs today Do you know what's going on in the world you know what's going on in the Middle East you know what's going on with kids can you just pray just for randomly pray for all the Jewish teenagers that are on drugs just for today When you learn to pray like that, then the answer is God never tells you to stop praying. But when you only consistently pray for my needs, my needs, my pain, my frustration, my resentments, that every once in a while God is going to tell you, come on, you got to do a little better than that every once in a while. People, thank you.